Hey everybody, welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast and I am joined today by Kevin and Kevin's a security solutions architect and one of the things that we really wanted to uh, hammer home was the fact that security, regardless of if it's running in Kubernetes or regardless of it's running on-prem or, or wherever, it's kind of all the same stuff across the board. So Kevin, thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. Absolutely. So it's my understanding, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm on the same page here, just based on uh, our chats back and forth. You're not super in-depth in the Kubernetes and containerization arena, right? Yes, uh, that's that's right. Uh, I was uh, starting, uh, coming from university, starting as a security consultant, and um, another security consultant uh, left the company where I was doing my my stuff at and he throwed uh, a lot of CICD cloud and stuff at me and I was like okay let's try it and one of the first touch points was Kubernetes and it was like okay I have no clue what this is I have to figure it out and yeah that were my first touch point and then I floated around mostly on the documentation side of uh, Kubernetes, not in-depth administrating or in-depth understanding of, of uh, Kubernetes technology. So yeah, awesome. I have to figure out how to do security on the Kubernetes side. Totally makes sense. And I think that's the interesting uh, kind of topic of this podcast, because typically we'll have people on that do X, Y, and Z in the Kubernetes and the containerization space. But one thing that I think is just clear across the board from a technology perspective is it's all kind of the same stuff, right? So like, regardless of if you know Kubernetes or not, you still know how to secure it, for example, even if you've never worked with it, because security is security. You know, I, I like to think about RBAC, for example, role-based access control, like yeah, it's a huge thing in Kubernetes, just like it's a huge thing in AWS and Azure and on-prem and in virtualization. It's it's like it's all the same stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, RBAC you mentioned is is one thing, and encryption, of course, is across the board. You have to encrypt your stuff, your storage, your connections, and and it's always always the same thing. And uh, I, First, at, at first glance, I was like, oh, this is very complex. I, I don't understand Kubernetes. And I, I read the documentation. I was like, yeah, you have to do RBAC. You have to do encryption and, and stuff. Like that. Okay, I know this, this kind of security topics. Uh, and then, fortunately, I, I could uh, consult the project team uh, in the right direction to secure the Kubernetes um, environment. Yeah. And I, I think it's funny that you bring that up. And I think that's what kind of happens with a lot of people. You know, what will happen is they see this technology, they see containerization, they see Kubernetes, they see serverless, they kind of see like this new thing. And they're like, oh, I don't know how to do X, Y, and Z in this. And then you kind of start to Google around and see what everybody's saying. And it's like, oh, wait, this is stuff that I know. Like I, I know encryption and I know RBAC. Oh, this is this is all we need to do. Oh, okay, that's that's straightforward. I can do that. I've been doing that on this system and not cloud provider and yada yada. So it's like I, I often think it's it's interesting and ironic that people kind of get caught up and and you know in this idea of like what Kubernetes is. Oh, I need to figure out Kubernetes. Oh, I need to figure out how to do this and how to do that. But really, it's like 
if you have a good foundation in systems administration, or if you have a good foundation in network administration, or from a security perspective, if you have a good foundation as a, uh, you know, whether you were a SOC analyst or whether you were a security engineer or, you know, an application engineer or an application security engineer, like whatever it is, if you have that foundation, you can get into the documentation and you can kind of say like, oh, okay, not, not a huge deal. Not as big as a lift as I expected. Yes. Correctly, uh, and um, I think yeah, it's a it's a big abstraction layer Kubernetes uh, at itself. But um, if you know your stuff, uh, it, it's not hard to get in there. Um, it's it's really interesting that it took me only two or three weeks to figure uh, things out and develop my my way into securing Kubernetes environments. Uh, but I have a question for you. Because uh, my, my first experience was like, ah, yeah, we are in AWS. And like, oh, cool, you're using uh, managed Kubernetes? And it says, they said no. And I was like, why not? Because <laughs> from my standpoint at the moment, it's like managed Kubernetes is much more easier to secure and to manage at all than a self-managed Kubernetes cluster. Do you well, agree with that? Yeah, so I would say it depends on what you de want to define as easy, and I guess it depends on what you want to define as secure. So let me let me kind of break that down. When you are in a managed Kubernetes service, for example, in AWS or in Azure or in GCP or wherever you are, the control plane is abstracted away from you and all the control plane components. So you don't have to worry about etcd. You don't have to worry about the API server, all of that. So yes, it's easier to think about security when, with a managed Kubernetes service like EKS because you don't have to worry about that stuff. Now, on the flip side, are you sure that you don't want to worry about that stuff? And and I think that's where the security piece comes into play and where I need to put my my uh, foil hat on <laughs> and, and, and kind of think like, okay, do I want that abstracted away from me? Do I want a cloud provider or whatever handling the encryption for etcd? Or do I want to handle it? Do I want the cloud provider or whoever to handle securing the API server? Or do I want to secure it? Because that's the that's the give and take of cloud in general, right? It's the, yeah. yeah, it's abstracted and yeah, it's easier, but everybody must understand that with ease of use comes less control. And if you need that type of control, regardless of what it's for, but from a security perspective, if you want the ability to say, hey, I'm going to secure etcd, you can't. It's abstracted. So I guess it kind of depends on, you know, like what you want to define as easy or better. Like, yeah, it's easier, but is is that okay for your environment? And here, listen, for, for most environments, it's fine. But if you go into a certain government sectors, for example, that may not fly. So I guess it also depends on where you're working. Yeah. Okay. From my experiences, that um, from my customer experience, uh, I must say that uh, a lot of Kubernetes engineers or Kubernetes folks or want to be Kubernetes engineers and folks are not good enough to handle that on their own. Right. So 
general, um, I, I agree with you that in some sector, I have also customers from financial sector where it's not possible to go to cloud managed stuff at all because the security guidelines are too too heavy. Mm -hmm. But um, um, if you have uh, small and medium sized businesses want to try out Kubernetes and develop some workloads or deploy some workload there, um, my feeling is that uh, it's better to um, say go first with the managed one um, because you have not the critical data in there and your risk is not that high mm -hmm. um, to give the control away. Right. But yeah. Yeah, no, I, and I totally agree with you 100%. Like if I have a choice, if somebody comes to me and says, what would you prefer to do? I would prefer to use a managed Kubernetes service because there are certain levels of abstraction that I no longer have to worry about. And I can worry about the things I need to worry about. But again, it, it kind of all depends on, you know, what the whole end goal is. Like there are uh, certain opportunities that you have with managing Kubernetes yourself versus, you know, worrying about a cloud provider doing it for you. You know, for example, I, I always bring up this um, this example because I, I think it's a really cool one. Mercedes-Benz, the, the car company, um, their tech team, they run over a thousand Kubernetes clusters and they're yeah, all running an OpenStack. <laughs> yeah, craziness, right? Like yeah. that's that's wild. Like that's like a hardcore, huge environment. Very, very hardcore. And it's awesome. But like that's such a... a, a it's it's such a uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? It's like the exception to the rule, right? Like yeah. the, the, you're not going to see that. That's not your everyday. <laughs> uh, this engineering um, knowledge at uh, at these um, Mercedes-Benz guys are is huge. Uh, I've, I had the chance um, to talk to them uh, last year at two conferences, and uh, it was like uh, I was blown away. Mm -hmm. um, I worked for very lot of customers from different sectors and I've never seen that much knowledge uh, on the technical uh, people there. It's crazy. And, and, you know, even bringing up something that you said earlier was, you know, the reason why a lot of folks go with managed Kubernetes services is because they don't have that level of expertise and knowledge. And you're absolutely right. And, and, and here's the thing. It's, it's kind of like a chicken and egg scenario because as a platform engineer, DevOps engineer, what, whatever title you want to use nowadays, you have a million different things that you have to worry about. You got to worry about CICD. You got to worry about infrastructure as code. You got to worry about configuration management. You got to worry about infrastructure on-prem management, monitoring, observability, cloud. The list goes on and on. There's always a huge stack and things that you have to worry about. So the uh, the the uncomfortable reality is that you kind of have to like give 10% to everything almost so if you can't give 100% how could you possibly become an advanced user or engineer of kubernetes it's it's kind of impossible so you know a lot of the times yeah people will go with uh the managed kubernetes services and stuff but then you know th then i i kind of have the argument with myself right and for everybody that's listening, now, now you'll have an opportunity to uh, see that I, I talk to myself on a daily basis and I even argue <laughs> with myself on a daily basis because, yeah, I totally get it that, you know, as a platform engineer, as a DevOps engineer, you have a lot of things to worry about. But 
then I then I kind of have this this argument with myself of you know just general life that if you put if you put ten to twenty percent of something uh, if, or ten to twenty percent of effort into something into a hobby into a relationship into whatever what happens it fails right because you're not putting a hundred percent in so that kind of makes me think like if there aren't dedicated folks putting a hundred percent into each piece of the platform like if there aren't dedicated folks just focusing on the Kubernetes piece and really understanding it, how long until the whole thing crumbles? Hmm. Yeah, good point. It's, 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 it's weird. Like it's, it's kind of one of those things where we have to deal with it. But at the same time, I feel like we also, we also live in a time where technology is changing so much. Like 10 years ago, you could be the active directory person. You could be the exchange person and you, you could have that focus and that specialty Nowadays, the specialty has now become the jack of all trades. And how long Mm. can we kind of uh, keep environments up and running properly without anybody specializing in anything? Do you kind of see that as well or? Yes, yes, for sure. And um, one, a big topic for me and also for my uh, business where I'm I'm working um, is uh, agile transformation. Uh, it's kind of a buzzword stuff, but it's not only technology, it's all, also organizational changes and specialty um, or changing to specialization in the uh, groups where maintaining cloud environments or maintaining Kubernetes clusters. I'm working out a strategy to transform organizations and, and, and teams to do that properly because if you have a specialized team for managing Kubernetes, you can be much more sure that it's managed properly and securely. And um, this is a, a whole thing um, which needs to be done. I, I think it's it's not only technical technology work; it's also people work. Yeah, and 100%. becomes much more important. Totally, totally. And I think even you know, let's say you're a smaller company that can't hire or don't have the bandwidth for that you could implement something like you know high velocity teams i don't know if they're still called high velocity teams anymore but a high velocity team used to be you know let's say you had five people on a team one person could be the kubernetes person one person is the qa one person is the infrastructure person one person is the networking person Right. And then so you kind of have this team of people that they're all working on the same stack but they all have their individual specialty so I, I think there's 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 so many different options that that we can kind of choose from. But so you know, kind of circling back to the the overall Kubernetes security piece. So far in your journey, what's what's kind of been like the I guess like the most difficult or the thing that kind of just like really gave you a run for your money? Most difficult. Um, I always struggle when. Um uh, I was tackled with the question, uh, can we do, uh, do multi-tenancy uh, applications on one Kubernetes cluster? And I was like, technically, yes, but I'm not sure how to do it properly. Uh, and most of the times, like, if you don't have millions of customers per application, set up another managed Kubernetes cluster because the separation is much more cleaner. But what's your what your, what's your take on that? Yeah, so uh, single and multi-tenancy comes up a lot 
right? Whether it's for the isolation and segregation piece or whether it's for the security piece. And here's the way that I think about it. Multi and single tenancy, a lot of the time when when folks think about that, it kind of goes to applications. But a tenancy model, whether it's single or multi, it could be for users. It could be for teams. It could be for applications. It could be for business units. So it it, it definitely depends on what you define as as tenancy. So for example, let's say you're you're in a single tenancy environment. Well, maybe if you're in a single tenancy environment, and, and I believe I apologize if I if I butcher this, but I believe this is how Mercedes is doing it. Let's say you're a developer. And you're, you know, writing a new feature or, or fixing a bug or whatever, and you want to test it. Well, you could, you know, have a self-service portal where you spin up your own Kubernetes cluster and then you test it and then the Kubernetes cluster gets deleted or destroyed. That's like a single tenancy from a user perspective. And then the same thing from a multi-tenancy perspective, multiple users would be able to do the same thing. And then from an application perspective, you know, same thing. You have one app running on one cluster that way it doesn't interfere with any of the other pieces of the application or other application stacks on another cluster so in terms of how's like like what the best way of running it is i i i mean i don't think that there's a specific purpose to have one application running on one kubernetes cluster i think that mm-hmm. You know, it could be, well, I mean, I guess it also depends on what exactly you're running, because if you're running, you know, let's say you got a bunch of, um, I don't know, like, let's say you got a bunch of like uh, application stacks and you have like a bunch of front ends and stuff and, and all of that where like you're running internal applications, like, yeah, you can throw them all in the same cluster, but maybe if you're hosting uh, specific applications for businesses, and if those businesses have, you know, certain requirements where their data needs to be completely separated from um, other customer data, yeah, then maybe you want to think about a, a single tenancy model or something. But it's it's really going to depend. And I hate saying it depends because I feel like it makes me <laughs> sound like I'm not answering the question. Um, but I, I think it really comes down to like what you're running and what the expectations are of running it. Because, you know, I remember like, 2016 when when everybody was still trying to just get a grasp on kubernetes and i was implementing it like i i vividly remember sitting in 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 the room whiteboarding saying oh we'll just you know take these five customers and put them into different namespaces and that's like not the way to do it because that's that's isolation from an application perspective, but that's not isolation from network traffic, for example. So, and some of these customers like may or may not have needed to not have their data touching other data. So it's really going to all come down to how you're running and what you're running. Most of the time, the, the, it's an, um, a business or co- uh, customer facing um application uh, so your second uh, guess was the right one and um it's mostly the customers don't want their data touching other data um mm-hmm. so separate clusters would be i i will go further with the with that uh, recommendation because i think uh, most of the time this is a use case uh, which uh, i'm tackled with 
Yeah, I, I think the the only thing there, and it, it's totally doable, right? But the only thing there that always comes to mind is how you manage other pieces of your stack. So like, for example, you're obviously going to want to have monitoring and observability. Mm. So does that mean you have a central Prometheus and Grafana server that's, you know, uh, consuming all the data from all the other servers or from all the other clusters rather? Or does that mean that you have multiple instances of Prometheus and Grafana and then that becomes a pain in the butt, right? Because it's like, then you got to manage all those apps. You got to manage where all the data is. You got to manage how all the data is getting consumed. So it, it's from a technical perspective, it's obviously doable from a technical perspective. It obviously makes sense to separate data uh, into different clusters, but then you kind of have like that, you know, not to get to uh, sound too buzzwordy here, but then you have those like day two ops problems, right? Where it's like, well, how are we going to monitor and observe this thing? Mm. But I think this problem can be solved because um, let me uh, paint a scenario here. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one application team, development team, operations team, DevSecOps team, whatever. Um, and they are deploying these for customer, uh, these customer-facing apps on uh, Kubernetes cluster. So, um, yeah, the data, the customer data, can be handled and and uh, transmitted inside one cluster. But monitoring, logging could be centrally because it's always also the same team managing all these clusters. I guess. Right. Yeah. No. So, totally. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think in, you know, from that perspective, I, you could use something like, you know, let's say you wanted to use open telemetry that's collecting all the data, then you have multiple exporters and it's sending it to different locations. That way you kind of don't have to be the, the, the middleman there. You know, you kind of uh, implement the technology to do it for you. And I, oh, wow. I can't believe I forget the name. No, I, it's, it's, it, is it Thanos? Thanos is the, the one where yes. uh, you have the centralized Prometheus configuration, right? Yeah, so it's like even, you know, something like that, if you can implement it, it could obviously make your life easier uh, from that perspective. Yeah, and and another thing to, to mention here is all, all, um, from security perspective is always the assets, I, I, I want to call it. Most of the time, I, I have the experience that not everyone is aware what is running there and uh, they need a, an insight. So uh, also in kind of, I also forgot the name. It's Lens. Lens. This Kubernetes Lens. Yes. Uh, open yeah. source orchestration yeah. manager. Yes. Uh, uh, correct. Um, the, there you can gather better insights in uh, all of your Kubernetes clusters, and the, the, I think this is a really, really good thing to have to to get insights really deep uh, to understand what what is happening. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, any of the uh, the orchestration management platforms, I think, are really good to be able to actually get the data and to be able to do things uh, m- more from a repeatable perspective. I guess, like, cause it's mm-hmm. it's abstracted, right? So, like, let's say you're using a container orchestration management solution and you're managing all five of your clusters in one place. It's way easier than like having to you know change change your cube config every time to get into a cluster and do something manually on the terminal. 
So one more question that I have for you before we start wrapping up here, what is your take on, or, and I don't even know if you've touched it yet or not, totally fine if you haven't, of course, but what's your take on service mesh? Are are you implementing that from like a network encryption perspective? I came across things one and a half years ago and was like, oh, interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. And yes, service mesh is a recommendation. Um, Often uh, I, I bring it to, to customers um, because it makes, again, the abstraction, uh, it, it makes it easier to uh, manage the um, traffic in, mm-hmm. inside a cluster and, and to encrypt it and, and to um, get away with um, these SSL certificates and the increase on NGIC and, and stuff like that. It's, <laughs> it's much more easier to handle um, all this stuff with the service mesh. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I, I always say the same recommendation, um, especially if you want to be able to encrypt that east-west traffic, you got to do something. Yeah. Um, and then I always say if if an organization is not ready to implement service mesh, because service mesh is a f- relatively big lift. Uh, it's still a very new, well, how can I say it? The methods aren't new, right? It's the same thing we've been doing for years from a networking perspective. Um, but the idea of a service mesh and doing it all in one place and the different products and tools and stuff, that's a new concept. So I always tell people, you know, if, if you're still trying to get used to it or whatever the case may be, look at like a security focused CNI or container network interface. So like Cilium, for example, has WireGuard, which encrypts your east-west traffic. So from that security perspective, it's, it's doing something very similar to what Service Mesh is doing, and it could be easier to implement. So, yeah, no, I, I always say those two things as well. And a, a key fact is um, everything which makes something which is such complex as Kubernetes is, uh, it's a fact, easier. It's, I think it, make, it makes it also more secure uh, because if it gets complex, uh, securing complex things is complex. Securing uh, or abstracting complexity away makes securing things a little, lot more easier. Right. No. Yeah. Totally agree. I, I think that's an important, uh, an important piece to leave off on is the fact that you're absolutely right. Like K- Kubernetes isn't uh, secure out of the box. <laughs> so like, yeah. <laughs> and not at all. Like, and and that's not, not its job, all. you know. And I and I've gotten that question a lot, and I've gotten that statement a lot, where people say, you know, well, Kubernetes isn't secure, right? It that's not its job. Wasn't meant. Yeah. It's not there to be a security platform. It's there to be a scheduler and an orchestrator. You're. It's up to you to secure it. You know, just like it's up to you to deploy the applications. Um, so it's, you know, it, it, it's a good thing to keep in mind of, yeah, you can't just deploy a cluster and be like, yep, we're good to go. No, you got to you gotta definitely think about security. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Sure. Cool. Well, you know, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And the one thing that I want to ask you is, and you know what? I didn't even, I didn't even look myself. Um but uh, do you do you blog at all, or do you have any videos, or do you want to do you want to plug away anything, any content, or your social media profiles, or anything like that? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, you can follow me on on Twitter. It's kefsecops, and also on Mastodon, it's uh, kefsecops at infosec exchange. And uh, please message me because I will attend uh, KubeCon again here in Europe and Amsterdam in April. So let's meet up there. Awesome. Cool. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. 
And for all the listeners, thank you so much for joining us.